Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by our Bastiat Cruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. First guest of the series, a man who just this week has announced his decision to take a new path to his career. He's been a very successful jockey since moving here from Northern Ireland over 20 years ago. He's tasted Group 1 success with Twilight Sun for a man who was his biggest supporter for many years, Henry Candy. He's had successful spells riding for other big prominent trainers like Martin Meaden. He's been riding all around the world for the last couple of years, but he has decided the time has come to try something a little bit different. And I'm delighted to say that I can catch up with him about his life and career now. He is, of course, Fergus Sweeney. Fergus, welcome, and thank you for being the, the first guest of the new series. No problem. Thank you for having me, Nick. And a, a big week for you, a week where you've made headlines, new career, starting as a as a BHA steward. They used to say this was poacher turned gamekeeper. But these are <laughs> these are different times. These are straightened times. How how did it come about? Um, basically, I, I applied for the position um, just to show a little bit of interest. Maybe I thought you know something I would like to do further on down the line, and they came back to me and said, "Yeah, we'd love to have you." So um, were you quite surprised? Yeah, I was, yeah. So it was, uh, it was a couple of sleepless nights thinking, you know, I'm at a crossroads now, what do I do? Spent a week thinking about it, spoke to all my friends, family, and it just started to sink in and it just, just felt right. Just felt the timing was, was right, you know. So you were obviously having an eye on a, a post-riding career, which is why you, you applied in the first place. And, yeah. And then they rather wrong-footed you by saying, yeah, we actually want you to come and do the job. So it must have been quite quite a difficult moment for you in some respects. It was, yeah. As I said, you know, I definitely had a couple of sleepless nights, but um, just as time went on, you know, everything just started to feel right. And, I'm, you know, I'm 100% sure I'm making the right decision. Well, we'll talk more about the, the latter stage of your riding career in, in a few moments' time. But I sort of wanted to know where it all began, to be honest, where this, where this career started and, and how it's lasted as, as long as it has. Um, just started as many kids do, just ponies, pony club. Um, came up through that way, and I was lucky enough that my father had um, a couple of small shares with National Hunt Horses with Jeremy Maxwell and Don Patrick. So school holidays and weekends, I used to go down there. I stayed with Brian Hamilton, who was very helpful um, early on, getting me riding better. Um, he was Jeremy's... Uh, amateur at the time so I used to stay with him go into work with him and that just moved on to um, well I my, my passion was national hunt you know um, if I'd have been a bit heavier you know I'd have definitely been a national hunt jockey but since I stayed light I thought it was uh, sensible to stay on the flat but um, yeah so I moved on to going to the Curra, another um, jockey um, a, f a friend of my father's Philip Laurie he used to be a uh, a good lightweight jockey in Ireland and I stayed down there for uh, two months 
And uh, my father said to him, just do whatever you can to put him off, right? I don't want him to be a jockey. <laughs> so after two months, he came back and he said to my dad, listen, I've got good news and bad news. He says, the bad news is I can't put him off, but the good news is he can ride. So, <laughs> so, so there, there was a future there. What was it like, the, the transition from, from Dan Patrick to the, to the Curra? Yeah, well, it was different because that, the Curra was, that was my first sort of introduction to a flat yard. As I said, my passion was always, you know, national hunt horses. So it, it was a little bit different, but um, enjoyed it, you know. And I knew, I knew at that stage that was what, you know, the, the career path I wanted to take, you know. And you were very young, and yeah. I'm guessing it's the first time you've really been away from home for any any length of time. Yeah, I left home at 16, and yeah, that you know took some persuading, to, you know, for my parents to let me leave, but thankfully they did. And and how did you find that? Were you were you okay straight away? Did you say well, you quite good at looking after yourself? Well, it was, I had to go to the British Racing School because it was a means of getting placed in a yard in in the UK, you know. So um, that was hell because I could write. You know, and I was on this ten-week course with people that were learning how to do the the rising trot. So, mm. I think for the first two weeks, I was going mad. At, you know, I was definitely on the verge of going back home, but thankfully, I stuck with it. And um, yeah, that was a means to getting placed in the yard, so it had to be done. So you did your course at the British Racing School when mm. you moved to when you moved to England. Uh, was there any sense that you might have stayed in Ireland, or were you always going to come here? No, I made the decision very early that um, you know there was going to be more opportunity here. Um, so uh, yeah, my mind was made up very early on. And where did you land? Where did you land when you finished at the BRS? I actually landed at Mick Shannon's. Yeah, I had my first ride for um, Mick probably within six months of getting my license. So um, I probably stayed with him just about a year and a half or so. He had five or six apprentices then, and opportunities. You know, they didn't come along too often. So, but um, yeah. Um, Enjoyed the place, learned a lot from Mick, and he was very good to me. What What was he like? What was he like as a boss? I think you know. <laughs> <laughs> you can hear him before you can see him. Put it that way. <laughs> but you know, fair fair guy. You know, nice man. And um, I learned a lot uh, at that stage. Richard Hughes was stable jockey, so he was very good to me. Also, mm-hmm. used to ride a lot of work with Hughesy, and um, he was very good to me. Did you try and model yourself on him or anyone, or did you just try and find your own way? I think <laughs> I don't think many can style themselves on Richard Hughes. Um, well, if you try, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. No, I just I just rode how I was. You know, it was natural to me. So where did the the Mick Shannon uh, connection end, and and what came after that? Um, I went to um, got offered um, a job with Martin Mead when he trained at Ladieswood Stud. So he had obviously not not the type of horses he has now. He had sort of twenty five, thirty, low grade handicappers. But um, I moved down there, and uh, yeah, we had a couple of good years there. Um, yeah, and that was you know that was a partnership that sort of was on and off for <laughs> for the rest of my career, really. Yeah, because latterly, since he sort of had yeah. the better horses and he was trading in Newmarket before he moved to Manton, you you rode quite a bit for Martin as well. I mean, he's a, mm. a very interesting man, entrepreneur, knows his own mind. Yeah. You've obviously maintained something of a relationship with him for, for quite a long period of time. Yeah, exactly. When he uh, moved into Soft- Sefton Lodge, um, you know, I, I rode a few winners for him and he asked me to come back as stable jockey. So I was on a, an agreement there. And um, you know that that lasted another couple of years, I think, before I, I broke my heel and I was off for a good amount of time. 
I mean, just looking at your career, you, you've not had associations with that many people. You've stayed quite loyal to, to trainers. Are you someone who enjoys being part of that team yeah, rather than just herring around the country? No, that's always been very important to me. I feel, you know, I, I like to be part of a team. I like to um, get to know the horses and, and um, you know, get to know the lads and just, yeah, feel, feel like I'm in a team, you know. Um, with that in mind, was there never a, a consideration to, to train or, or still be part of a stable or part of a yard? No, I was never really interested going down that route, if I'm completely honest. Um, it just, um, listen, I, I, I would love to train horses, but um, it's just everything else that comes along with it, really. And I suppose if there's one trainer that you'd be most inextricably associated with, it would be Henry Candy, for whom you rode yeah. a lot of winners, and rode your biggest winner as well with, mm. with Twilight Sun. Hugely experienced, vastly respected trainer. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about him and, and what it was like to ride for him. I had some very good days there. Um, I think I had my first ride for him in 1998, a horse called Speed On, Peter Day London. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, that was at New Brainy, actually. He wasn't racing that day. And um, he won. And, uh, you know, as a kid, you get on the phone and you're hopefully going to, you know, going to ring him and get a bit of praise. And he answered the phone and he said, Oh, well done, Mr. Sweeney. But my assistant trainer was there, so there was no need to ring me. And I was like, Ah. Oh. <laughs> You know, <laughs> so I knew early on. Um, that's just how he operated, and um, you know, he just let you get on with it. Um, if you rang him to ask about a horse, his reply was usually, "You know it better than me." So um, he very much let you get on with your own things. You know, he, he trusted you that you knew the horse. And very easy to ride for. Didn't complicate things, and yeah, had some very nice winners for him. When you were talking about Mick Shannon, you say you'd, you'd hear him before you could see him. That's not the Henry Candy style, is it? No, not at all. No, I don't think I've ever seen him lose his temper. No. And he, presumably, somebody whose actions speak louder than words. So if you were in favour, you'd get the rides, and if you weren't, then you probably wouldn't. Yeah, no, he's a very well respected man, and um, I really enjoyed riding for him. It was just, it was just easy, you know. Uh, there was nothing complicated about it. Sort of back end of the of the naughty sort of two thousand nine ten, you were riding quite a lot of winners. You're knocking mm. in fifty, sixty winners in a in a season. At, at that stage, did you think your career could push up, maybe even to to the next level, to be challenging for sort of a hundred winners a season? Well, I always hoped that. Um, you know, I'd never set the world alight, but as you say, I was, you know, consistently sort of five hundred, six hundred rides a year, fifty, fifty five, sixty winners a year um, for. This, you know, the good part of 15 years probably. Um, I think 2016 was a hard year for me because after, after winning the Group One on Twilight Sun, mm-hmm. I thought, you know, 2016 could be my year, and you know, the the wheels sort of came off that year, um, and that was, you know, that was disheartening because. Off the, you know, off the off the back of the Group One winner, you're you're thinking, yeah, you might just get get to that next level, and it it didn't happen that way. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiwell Dubai. Joined by regular Luck on Sunday guest Lee Mottishead, senior writer from the Racing Post, and for the first time, delighted to say, an apprentice who is storming through the ranks. Megan Nichols with 27 winners, easily your best season today, and 
welcome to the show. No, thank you. Delighted to be here and hopefully I don't uh, talk too much rubbish. You will not talk any rubbish. Uh, you were admiring and listening to uh, Fergus's singing before the break, but you've had prior experience of this, I gather. You have a CD on the way home, I reckon. Yeah, a whole, a whole album? <laughs> did you get CD on the way here? Download it no, on iTunes no. now. I've, lo I've lost it. What did, what did you think, Lee? Because you're a something oh. connoisseur. Well, do you know, somebody who belts out a few show tunes in the shower, <laughs> mine don't sound anything like his. <laughs> I, fi I find it's, there's occasional high notes that don't come out in the way you intend them to come out. But yeah. Fergus's high notes are fantastic. No truth in the, the rumour that Gary Wilmot's Showstoppers was your favourite TV series, Gary. Do, do you know, I remember Gary, I, I remember <laughs> Gary Wilmot's conversion from comic to, um, to musical theatre performer. Yeah. Well, uh, the conversion from, from jockey to BHA steward via, via star performer is, is happening as we speak in this studio. Uh, for you, Megan, there's no time for this kind of frivolity. This week you are at Windsor, Kempton, Bath, Brighton and Newcastle, and then Wolverhampton, all, all the high spots, but you are working extremely hard and it is paying real dividends at the moment. You must be really pleased with the way things are going. No, I'm delighted. Um I think this season's been a huge turning point for me and um, you know you don't mind traveling when it's paying off and put the hard work in and you know at the moment getting the rewards back so it's, it's great. And are you are you quite good at, uh, at that sort of managing and organizing your life you're quite a kind of resourceful <laughs> organized person because that's part of the part of the job really now isn't it? Yeah I'm over organized I'm a nightmare I'm uh, like in every respect so I suppose that probably is quite a good thing um, I mean I'm quite lucky I've got um, friends in Newmarket and up north that let me sort of bunk in every week mm -hmm. um, but you know it means often packing a suitcase for you know five or six days you're away from home so you kind of have to be ahead of the game a little bit but um, yeah I'm super organized luckily it's yeah it's all right because that's the sort of side of it that we don't really appreciate, Fergus. We see your names jocked up. And I, it was only when I was looking at Megan's itinerary for this week, I'm thinking you've got to be sort of part athlete, keeping yourself on the straight and narrow, making sure you're eating and drinking the right thing, keeping your body in one piece, and sort of be part travelling salesperson at the same time. It's, a, mm -hmm. it's an odd existence in this country, isn't it, as you were it's, saying earlier? It's, it's a crazy lifestyle. But as Megan said, when you're doing well, um, you breeze through it. You only you only start thinking about it when you're when you're not doing so well. And with 27 <coughs> winners this season for 16 different trainers, most of those car journeys have been relatively short, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I like Fergus said. When you've got the music on your radio on or whatever, it sort of uh, makes the journeys a bit shorter. And you know, if you do manage to bag a winner, then it's even better on the way home. Um, but uh, you kind of get used to it, I suppose. You know, for all the jockeys, there's a lot of travelling involved, a lot of miles that people probably forget about. But um, you, you do get used to it, and if the horses are running well and you're having a bit of luck, it mm. does. You know, it does make things a lot better, a lot easier. Were you because you're in your sort of fifth or sixth season now riding? Were you impatient for early success? Were you thinking, well, hang on, why isn't everyone using me now? I want to be riding 40 winners in my first season. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's a good job that I didn't because I wouldn't have been ready for it, no way. Um, and I guess I started as an amateur and had some, you know, amazing horses, point-to-pointing and hunter-chasing, and um, I rode in a few bumpers for Dad as well, and, I mean, they were pretty much point-and-go. But uh, that doesn't obviously always happen. Um, 
and once I you know made the decision to turn apprentice um, obviously have to start from square one and uh, took a bit of time I picked up an injury in my first year set me back a bit and I think after that injury I sort of realized that it's not going to happen overnight um, but it's the best thing that could have happened because no way if I'd have rushed through you know the first first part of my claim I'd have been you know a bit of a loss end really so it was probably a good thing and dad has told me I cannot tell you how many times that I just need to be patient but I think it's something that runs in the family that none of us are very patient um, but it's you know starting to pay off thankfully but he probably recognizes in him, in himself that he's he's not a particularly patient person even if he has to be patient to get the best out of his horses so he's probably quite a good person to to give advice to you yeah, no definitely um and i guess you know with experience over the years dad has learned that you know you you just have to be patient and sit still sometimes when you don't necessarily want to um you know there's occasions where you're dying to run a horse but the ground changes or you know i don't know he pulls a shoe the morning before and, and whatever and no matter how perfect sort of it seems you've got to just you know count to ten and 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 go again um and it's taken a while for me to accept that as well but you like you say you know he understands that so actually being able to revert to him and speak to him yeah. about it does help how big a part of it is managing the relationships with all the different trainers you've got to ride for because at your stage of your career you're just riding for as many people as you possibly can yeah i think the thing is is you know, I've been very lucky in the respect of, you know, Richard Farr, he's been super good to me the last few years. Um, I've started to build a relationship with a few few more trainers in Newmarket, Richard Spencer, Simon Crisford. Um, and you've got to be careful not to sort of spread yourself too thin. Um, and I think trying to, you know, put in the hours for those that are sort of most loyal to you and help you along the way is important. And I've managed to pick up good rides along the way because of that and obviously you want to be able to help them and, and whatever as much as you can as well but you've only got so much time on your hands yeah. so you have just got to be um, careful but that's obviously something that working with the trainers and with my agent you just have to try and find the right balance um, and at the moment I think we got it about right so hopefully we can keep it that way. I, I, I won't spare it much. I, you're very lucky to have Sam Sam Turner, because he's a very level-headed character, isn't he? Has he been a, a good sort of mentor for you as, a, as an agent? Yeah, you know, as much as, obviously, he's done a great job booking my rides, um, I can ring him in an absolute flap about something, you know. I think I've done this or that wrong, or, you know, I've got beaten ahead and I'm, you know, the world's going to end. And I ring Sam and he, you know, calms me down and he's... He's been really good to me this year. Um, he has helped me a lot, and like he is just so level-headed, and I think it makes me take a step back, watch things over, and sort of accept. You know, it doesn't go right every day. No. <laughs> um, but he has, you know, in more than just booking rides for me, he's been brilliant to me this year. And from from when you could talk, essentially, <laughs> you've been conditioned to analyse races, to watch horse races through a kind of analytical prism I suppose because that's yeah. just the, w what you've been doing and you know I've heard your dad do it for, forever and ever and I've heard you do it forever and ever um, has that been a big asset to you being being able to really pinpoint what happened where what's going to happen in a race and be quite self-critical 
I think so. I I am very self-critical. Um, you know, even I bring my jockey coach, Roddy Green. You know, he's another person who's been brilliant for me. Um, and you know, I, I pick things out, and he's like, you know, th there was nothing wrong with that or whatever. But I think I've watched that much racing, and especially with Dad, who's you know, he's got to analyse the races as well. I've kind of you know, like you say, from from day one, I've learned to kind of view things that way, um, and I probably find more problems in the horses that I win on than in the horses that get beat. Um, but I guess that's a good thing. You know, I want to. I've got a long way to go yet, um, and I want to improve every day, of course. But I guess by being self-critical and, and analysing things properly, I, that's that's the best way to learn. And we're going to have a look at the racing from, from, from Newmarket yesterday, and I'm, I'm really interested to get your views on some of the horses we saw. But just before we do, I, I wanted to ask how you're enjoying the, the other side of your life, in, in a sense, insofar as that you're, you're writing a column for the, for the Sun and you're an ambassador or have been an ambassador for Goodwood, and you've been very prominent in promoting the Silk Series, which you've won three times. Do you enjoy that side of it, or is it quite difficult to marry up I was showbiz is putting it too strongly, but a more kind of the, the lighter side of the game with the serious business of riding winners. Yeah, I do really enjoy it. Um, I guess it's, you know, it takes your mind off things. Mm. It's a sort of different aspect. Um, and, you know, all the things like writing um, a column for, for Sun Racing and doing some stuff, you know, different projects for them um, has been really good. I've learned a lot doing it. And, it's meant I've had to be even sharper on my form, jumping and flat. Um, so it all helps. It does all help, yeah. um, for sure. And you know, like with with Goodwood, it's it's. I guess up until this year, I've you know I've been lucky. I've had a few more winners this year, but I've had to try and sell myself in a different way, and um, you know, sort of use the business side of things as such I guess yeah, um, no, I get it. To, to help me um, along the way and I've really enjoyed it and I've you know gained a lot of contacts um, in doing so Goodwood's been brilliant as well I, it's a track I genuinely love um, I think they do such a good job there and I gutted that obviously it's off today but it's been a great season and you know they're the kind of things I want to continue mm. no matter what you know, even if I get busier, I still want to be able to, you know, have the time to try and do that. Um, and whatever happens from now on in, that ride on a horse at Glorious Goodwood, <laughs> not particularly fancied for an established new market trainer like Simon Crisford in Mac 2 ownership as a female apprentice is, is a very significant moment. That was honestly the most amazing day. Um, she's a filly that I sort of was riding work on from quite an early stage and I absolutely loved her. Um, so as much as anything, I was just delighted to win on her. Um, but, you know, to be at a good festival like that, um, like you say, top connections, um, it's, you know, that's what we work for. And um, I was delighted to get the opportunity and to actually go through and, and manage to win was, it was different gear. And I, I mentioned your, your agent, Sam Turner. He and I were, were chatting last night, and it's the, it's the perception. I was going to 
ask Lee a little bit as well here. It's the perception, isn't it? If, if somebody had rung you as an owner or a trainer a year ago and say, oh, well, I've got Megan Nichols available, she's claiming however many pounds, and what do you think? Now, if somebody said to a senior new market trainer, I've got Megan Nichols available, they are going to go, oh, great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in this sport and probably in an awful lot of sports, momentum is a big thing, isn't it? Once you get rolling, once you get that momentum, once people see you winning races, once they see you riding for certain trainers and certain owners, they want to be associated with that that uh, that success. Mm. So, and it is difficult, isn't it? I think, for those jockeys that know they could do it too, but don't get those opportunities. And some, some of them will, will never get those opportunities. And there's, there are almost certainly some real stars lurking within who luck just doesn't smile on. Mm. Um, but when luck does smile on you and you have the talent to go with that luck, yeah. because you need them both, you can't survive with just the one, I don't think. But when it does happen, you can get that momentum. And I think what people are sort of recognising for people I speak to about, about you now is you're, you are a 100% applied to, to wanting to make this a success as well. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, for a long time, um, it's. I think people were probably unsure of whether I really wanted to be a flat jockey. Obviously, mm. I've, I've been connected with Dad um, and always had jumping background and breaking through to that was not necessarily going to be easy. So it's taken a bit of time to... Um, sort of prove and convince people a bit, I guess. Um, but I think now, you know, of course I follow the yard and and um, very much still involved, but flat racing is my passion. And I do dad's head in every week. I'm ringing him asking, can I run this or that on the flat? <laughs> but, um, you know, we've, we've had, I think we've had 11 or 12 winners on the flat. And, you know, dad loves being able to support me and that, but he's obviously jumps and I'm very much flat. So um, it's no, it's been a work in progress, and you know I just hope it sort of continues from now. But we'll we'll be working hard, and fingers crossed it can keep going the right way. Because I I, I, I wasn't going to say double-edged sword, but there are advantages and some disadvantages of being the child of a celebrated <laughs> parent in in this particular sport or in any endeavour, really. Yeah, for sure. Um, like I said, it was that it was just trying to like that first initial like breaking out of the whole sort of jump thing and you know I'm based with dad um, and you know when we're quieter in the summer he's great I can go off and ride out and sort of do my own thing um, but I guess because of that in some ways it probably sets me back a little bit um, you know I've I've done a couple of years in, in some big flat yards and um, never really got into the right routine and I enjoyed it and I learned plenty but actually like we said earlier about mm. having the patience going back to dad's taking a step back and sort of rebuilding it has been the best thing I could have done and being kind of being more your, your own boss and more you, the master of your own destiny I feel that that's something that comes off you quite strongly yeah I guess that's in my blood slightly <laughs> as well um, and you know I think I'm quite when I'm quite passionate about something, I want to get it right. And I, you know, I think being able to go off and do my own thing slightly and test the water my own way has uh, has worked better for me than necessarily being sort of um, 
locked in in one place. Um, I I think building my own connections has, has been good and you know dad's always helped point me in the right direction and if I come up with an idea and he thinks it's madness he, he will tell me and he's unfortunately 99% of the time is right. <laughs> um, That's infuriating you don't really have to say that. I know it is infuriating but it's you know it's a good thing and it's helped me a lot um, he's been a huge part of um, you know my success the last you know 12 months and mm. I've, I mean, I think I've had one winner for him this year, which is crazy. I'm hopefully we'll have a few more now um, in the next sort of month or so. But I think he's actually delighted that it's been that way and that I've managed to, you know, like we say, build these connections elsewhere. Well, hopefully this time in in twelve months' time, if you're if you're here and you're a guest on the show again, you'll have ridden a couple of winners at Newmarket on Future Champions Weekend and be looking forward to Ascot next week. It's not beyond the bounds of possibility at all as we uh, reflect on, on what happened yesterday. And Well, the, the star name, Pinatubo, he delivered in the, in the Dewhurst Stakes. He made it six out of six as a juvenile, which in and of itself is a, a remarkable achievement. It was pretty decisive in the end. If Lee it lacked the wow factor of Goodwood and the, yeah. and the extraordinary... Uh, power of, of the Curra, he he delivered in, in in pretty emphatic fashion, and he did deliver in emphatic fashion. And the problem in terms of how we view the race and what we take from the race is that we had seen what he'd done at the Curra mm-hmm. and Goodwood, and, and mainly the Curra. I think if we hadn't seen those two races, and if he came here straight from winning uh, at Royal Ascot, we'd say, my word, that was a desperately impressive performance. And I think ultimately. It is. He's a horse who's been on the go an awfully long time. How many Dewhurst horses arrive having started at Wolverhampton and in the Woodcut Stakes? He's had plenty of races. They've treated him like a racehorse. He's racing here on ground that almost certainly isn't ideal. He looked like he was a little bit unhappy on the track at one stage when he comes into the dip. But when, when William Buick gets him organised and asks him to go and win his race... He does win it, and I think it's important to say as well, it was a proper race. This could have been, in some ways, a penalty kick, given what he'd done before, but Ballydorl ensured it wasn't. They fielded four proper juveniles against him. Arizona's a Coventry winner, who maybe hasn't shown his best form always since then, but he's clearly a high-class horse. And in the end, Pinatubo has put him to bed very readily. Um, so although the, there wasn't that explosive appeal that we got at Goodwood and the current, I think it was some ways comforting to see him win a bit dirty. Mm. And it's quite hard in those two-year-old races on the Roly Mile to look really impressive just because of where the dip sits, yeah. Fergus. I, I agree with what Lee said. I think he didn't look happy until he met the rising ground. I think, um, OK, it was nowhere near as oppressive as, as how he won last day at the Curra, but... Um, you know, he's the horse to beat next year in the Guineas. I think on on the evidence so far, and he looks like he looks like he's got a wonderful attitude. I love the way they say at home. He's just you know workmanlike. I think that's always a good sign. You know, I think that's a um, they look after themselves. So you know, you'll get the miles out of them then. But uh, no, he's going to be a really exciting three-year-old. What do you make of him, Megan? I actually loved the way. Yesterday, he his his best part was the last furlong, um, and he looks like he's going to see out, you know, the trip in next year. Earlier on in the season, everyone was sort of 
oh, he's just going to be a two-year-old. Um, you know, he's small, compact, looks more like a sprinter. But yesterday he proved that actually he probably looks like, if anything, stepping up to a mile in time is, and, you know, maybe further, will, will be, you know, the right way forward. And um, I think Arizona almost got a soft lead. Um, and he's had to switch out, come past a few horses. Um, and, you know, he's done his best work at the end. And he's super tough he sticks his head right out and you know like Lee said you see Arizona's got a much bigger rounder sort of stride and he's very much got a sort of flicky action and that that better ground is going to suit him that turn of foot will probably come out become more apparent when he gets that ground again and you guys can empathize with this a bit more Lydia asked William Buick after the race were you deeper out in the track than you wanted to be and he paused for a bit and said I was exactly where I was expecting to be because he knew where his draw was. He also knew he had five Bally Doyles inside him and there was no way he was going to be able to get any further to the rail. How much of a disadvantage would that have been to him? I think as as it planned out, Arizona obviously was slightly well, was yeah, more stand side. Mm. Um, but in those races, you're not going to get an inch. No. Um, so, like you said, he probably wasn't expecting much different. Um, you know, had there have been more pace on his side it might have played out you know a different way but it did mean that he did have to switch and he's probably lost a little bit of momentum you know length or two in doing that um but once he was out in the straight and um he found a stride and was balanced yeah. he, he ran on nicely luck on sunday proudly sponsored by albasti at cruel dubai well, let's have a look at Military March yesterday, who I thought was one of the nicest sources on show. He's got lovely pedigrees by a new approach. He's out of the Yorkshire Rose winner, Punctilius. He's the white cap Military March, and he gets the better of the Charlie Appleby trainee in second place. And I thought, Lee, he was always covering the bases, this horse. Yeah, he's the most... He looks like a really gorgeous individual, a very willing horse. Um, and it was a race again where Godolphin came to fall, not with one horse, but two... They fought out the finish. They pulled an awfully long way clear. And it was good to see Saeed win the race because, again, as we've seen through this season and in recent seasons, the majority of the really good ones in the new market, Godolphin setup, have seemed to be housed with Charlie Appleby. So Saeed has been winning lots of races and he's been winning Caulfield Cups and races like that. But what he, we've not really seen him have for a while is to go into the British flat season yeah. with a three-year-old who you think this really could be a one. And potentially, given <laughs> how that. long it took to get pulled up, mm. he maybe could be. Sheen Murphy said he was heading for home because he's a clever horse. <laughs> but he has hit the line really, really hard. He's got a hell of a pedigree. He's got a great physique. He's in lists now for the Derby next year. He's trained by Saeed Binsura, who also has the horse that might win the QE2 uh, next week. He's going for the QE2 battle, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll find out now because he's on the line. Saeed, good morning. Good morning, sir. Uh, that must have pleased you hugely yesterday. What a lovely horse military march looks. How is he this morning? He's doing very good. Today he's the first and happy. You know, uh, look really good after the race. I'm happy with him, really. And you'd given him a break. You'd given him 70-odd days between his debut on the July course and yesterday's race. Was that intentional? Were you always trying to bring him through quite steadily? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I like this horse always when he came as a yearling. 
and um, slowly he was a little bit weak as his back was. But I thought I tried to pass the time with him to run him in July, just to make him win. And the way he woke out in the morning, he showed he was going to win, you know, it's amazing. Then um, even after the race, you know, it looked like he's still light and he need to get some break just to make him gain weight and look better as physically. You know, but uh, I mean, now he's just coming to the right time. And I told the boss about him. He's, he's a nice coach. You know, he could be be better horse as a future when he ran. Yesterday he ran well and he won group three. So what's your inclination now, Saeed? How would you like to map out the next four, five, six months of his career? Well, he's entered in the race, race in both trophy and other races also in France. Mm -hmm. But um, just, you know, he's, he's a nice coach and moving all the time. He's looking much stronger now as what took to me as in... So he... More three-year-olds, really. More yeah. three-year-olds. It could be... A, Anyway, I take him to back to Dubai. As he's going to run there or not, that's another, uh, you know, question because I need horses really for to run in the classic races again in the Derby. But uh, as a new approach, you know, uh, more likely could be a, uh, uh, bring him back next year in the Craven meeting, could be the Dante. And if, if he's good enough, you know, just take him to, to the Derby, English Derby. Okay, so maybe something like the field and stakes at the Craven meeting, then the Dante, then the Derby. That would be the sort of way that you'd be looking at things. Close to me, like this. He's a mile and a half horse. I mean, you know, he went a mile, still a mile, but it looked to be he's more like a mile and a quarter, mile and a half horse. As oh. uh, next year, the Dante and the Derby. If he's good enough, and Dante be good, great to see him run in the Derby. But you, but you're, are you, are you thinking at the moment you may still run him in either the the Vert yeah. Futurity, what used to be called yeah. the Racing Post, uh, or the, or the, is it yeah. Criterion de Saint Cloud? Yeah, you know, it's, the Racing Post comes too soon, really. I mean, only two weeks left. But I want to see him, I mean, like um, this week coming, how he look like, and uh, keep the options open for him, really. OK, well, he's very exciting horse. Looking forward to seeing him. Your stable star, if I can call him that, because Thunder Snow is on the sidelines at the moment, is currently Ben Battle, who goes to Ascot next weekend. Uh, am I right in thinking that he will definitely run in the QE2 as opposed to the champion stakes? Yeah, after when he won in, uh, in the market and he won well, you know, I talked to Shea Mohammed and, uh, uh, and also at the same time before that, uh, Shein Murphy, and I said to him, I know he has shown plenty of speed as a mile, but I, I said to him, what do you prefer? We go the Champions Stakes or the QE2? As Oshimabi said, no, I prefer Oshimabi, um, uh, QE2, as he showed plenty of speed. As you ask it, stiff mile, I think it will suit him. But at the same time, we don't want too soft for him. I mean, good to soft, good to ground, be good, great for him. Uh, heavy ground, I don't think he will like it. So if the ground was heavy, would he miss Ascot? Well, I want to check the ground the day of the race. Okay. Before you know, make a decision really. I mean, he worked yesterday, he worked really good. The Lamkins, and that's the main work for him. I was really happy, pleased with him. He's ready, he's put on for the Saturday coming. But we leave this for the weather to see on Saturday before the race or make a decision. But so far, he was declared and run the two week. And here's a, here's a question for you, Saeed. I'm very sad to, that Thunder Snow won't be able to run in the, in the Breeders' Cup Classic this year because he would have had a terrific chance. Uh, yeah. Is there any chance Ben Battle could run in that race? In Breeders' Cup? Yeah. Um, we'll see. Uh, you know, after when he ran in the QB2, then we'll see. You know, it is, um, 
the options open also for him, but I want to see him how he ran there anyway. And would you consider running him in the Classic? In the Classic? We don't know in this time, but could be. Uh, that's another option also. But more likely, you know, uh, I need horses for Dubai, I mean, for big races coming. I mean, um, I want to try him even in the dirt. If he, he handed the dirt in Dubai, it will be another horse for the World Cup. But that's another, I mean, that's for going to be for January time. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. Right, Rafe Beckett's on the line. He had five winners yesterday. Four of them were at Newmarket. Morning, Rafe. Morning, Nick. That was quite a remarkable day. And what I was amazed by is how kind of composed and cool you were at the end of it all. Were you feeling quite sort of wrung out by the whole experience? Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, 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 I'm disappointed you don't think I always look cool and relaxed about it, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've seen you in moments of high tension occasionally, once or twice on, on this programme. I was hoping you might come in this morning, but I know you've been in incredibly busy. Um, but, but what a day, and, and it must, be, must have been fantastic to, to get back last night and enjoy it with your team. It was, yeah. Um, we, had, uh, we had to go out to dinner with some locals last night, but... Uh, uh, yeah, we'll have, no doubt after the evening sales are over, we'll have a we'll have a uh, session somewhere. I hope that I hope the locals appreciated your your, your achievement. Uh, they did, they did. Not at all. N none of them know the, knew the first thing about racing, so that was uh, that was nice. Uh, as far as the, the horses themselves are concerned, it was easy. It was easy enough for it to get a little bit lost because you had the Dewhurst and the Cesarewitch on the same day. But to have four winners on a card of that calibre and pattern races in there as well is, is hugely encouraging. In terms of the season as a whole, does it make it a much better year than otherwise it might have been? Uh, most definitely. Uh, uh, I, was, uh, I was sort of behind in number of steps winners in my last couple of years and uh, you know as I said to somebody the other day Royal Ascot winner was papering for a few cracks so uh, yeah it was it was it was you know you know uh, this game you know it's um, all about perseverance and every everybody gets the time sooner or later don't they Nick well, they do. I, I suppose what was the most encouraging thing from your point of view, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that certainly a couple of the winners yesterday, Max Vega I'm thinking of, and, and, and Feliciana de Vega, even though she's a year further down the track, they're horses that could really build on that and end up being genuine top-notchers, top couldn't they? Feliciana de Vega, I always, you know, we've always felt that she was going to show what she did yesterday at some point. Um, she had a tough spring and nothing went right, and then uh, she 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 came right, and the ground wasn't there for her. But um, it wasn't a surprise to us that she, she won yesterday. Actually, she was the one who also did fancy yesterday. So I was sort of approaching the last with some trepidation because you know it never works like that, does it? You know, five winners on a day is is, is unusual to say the least. So. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I always, I was always hopeful that she, she, she would do something like that, but to do it against Colts and older horses uh, made it even sweeter. And I think get back against her own sex next year, 
she, uh, I said to her only yesterday, well, I'd be prepared to take on all comers, you know, at a mile or a mile and a quarter, because I think she'll, um, you know, she's pretty impressive yesterday, I felt. And we've seen that mild division, that older mild division. The cupboard has just been a little bit sparse the last couple of years. So you, you, you're not going to have to improve all that much to get in there. No, no, um, I, I, I hope not. You know, time form. Harona tells me that uh, time form gave her a provisional rating of 116 for yesterday. Well, that put in the mix. So let's hope they're right. And what about Max Vega, who I I just loved yesterday, and I honestly didn't know much about the horse going into the race, but I felt I knew a hell of a lot about him coming out of it. Yeah, he was he was, he was uh, I wasn't expecting that. That's for sure. I I thought we might be competitive, and the market said we'd be competitive. That sort of encouraged me as well. Um, I expected him to be a bit longer at the fight when the these uh, entries went in. So. Yeah, I, I mean, he was always cantering, weren't they? wasn't he? They weren't going fast enough for him. And um, I think if they'd gone a bit harder, he'd have won even further. Mm. Uh, you know, the way he went through the line and galloped out. So, um, yeah, huge encouraging. Because, uh, uh, you know, he's only a frame of a horse, and I expect him to do very well over the winter physically. Uh, well, he could yet make up into a into a Derby horse. I'm guessing. I was talking to to Saeed about about his horse who, who won the the Autumn Stakes yesterday. You must be thinking about Middle Distance Classics for him, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, as you saw yesterday, he's he's uh, he's going to get a mile and a half on his head. Mm. Pedigree would would indicate that on its own. So, I, I yeah, he'll he'll start off. He'll have to start off in a trial next year and go from there. And the one, the one thing I said to Lydia yesterday, the one thing um, you can be fairly confident of is that he'll go around Epsom the way he's made. You know, he's light frame horse and a uh, very well-balanced horse. Uh, he got plenty of experience yesterday and at Pontefract on his second start. So I, uh, you know, I wouldn't be afraid to, I wouldn't be afraid to, to, to go that route, that's for sure. And they never let the ground get too quick there either. And I know Lydia asked you yesterday about Kin Ross, but I'm going to ask you again because there aren't many horses that make impressions like that on their on their debuts. Uh, were you? I'm sure you were excited by it. A little bit frightened by it as well. He looks like he could be freakishly talented. Uh, I don't think you should ever be frightened of a performance like that. Um, yeah, he 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 um, he showed up well at home. Um, Starting price, um, so in that sense, it wasn't a, it wasn't it wasn't surprising no. that he won. I think we were all um, not surprised, but the, you know, or, or astonished, but delighted with the way he he, he went through the race and and uh, and got to the front easily and then stretched away from them. Uh, you know, he he's. Um, uh, you know, uh, having trained for uh, Junior Sarah Richmond Watson now for nearly 15 or 16 years, um, might even be longer than that. He, you know, we kind of know the families and know the know the whole whole uh, framework of the way that that the, the, their stock work. Um, I trained I trained his mother and I trained um, all of his half sisters. His mother was pretty 
pretty was a pretty good racehorse, but she's been a very disappointing broodmare to date. Um, and he he was a pretty unimpressive yearling, um, but a midfold, and he's just done very well all year. Uh, but he only really did that one piece of work that, that, that said he was capable of going into Newmarket and starting favourite. But as a man says, you should you only need to see it once, or you should only need to see it once. And um, uh, hopefully, what we saw last weekend, uh, he will back that up uh, when he runs in the Horace Hill in a fortnight. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel, Dubai. Well, we have the great privilege this morning on Luck on Sunday of being in the stable of the best T-roll that we have seen in over a quarter of a century. The mighty Pinatubo, about to have a few polo mints. Oh, what a lovely horse he is. Charlie Appleby is trained alongside me and the man who's been looking after him and actually was uh, enjoying the success yesterday. Uh, what a horse and what a lovely, relaxed, laid-back animal he is, Charlie. Has he been like this from the moment he arrived at this yard? He has, genuinely. I mean, we didn't. We, we, we'd love to be able to claim that we saw him in the spring and said he was going to be, uh, you know, winning the Dewhurst. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and pretend that we're all great judges. But um, look, uh, I have to say that uh, he's just been one of those horses that just, uh, you know, went and was in the string and would go about his business and. Uh, do the work he was asked to do, um, and that's why, and none of this respects to where he started off. He started there for a reason that we felt, you know, as his best opportunity to win there, rather than going up to you know, one of our you know, new market meetings in the spring there. Um, but um, yeah, it's been a, a pleasure to be around, and as you see, he's just horizontally laid back, well, which is great. I mean, that's what's given him the constitution yeah. to do what he's done. Uh, you know, a lot of people have asked going into yesterday, you know, is it one, is it going to be one race too many, um, and, and and you know. When you see a horse has had five runs at the level he's been at as well over the last three three starts, well, four starts to be honest with you, you know, um, you did say, uh, are we going to, are we asking one too much, too many races from him? But uh, because he does so little in between, well, no, I say so little, he does nothing in between his yeah. races apart from eat, sleep, and drink, and that, and that's about it. And I go out for his normal exercise. Jasmat looks after him fantastically well, and Giuseppe rides him, and Connor uh, obviously runs this side of the barn. And this horse will be turned out every day, and um, Marie Murphy and her team are uh, quietly watching what he's up to. But um, yeah, look, he's uh, been a, an honour to be around. Well, yesterday it looked as if, watching it, that he had a fairly hard race in that ground. But how has he pulled up out of it? What sort of exertions did he have to go through to win the Dewhurst? I'll be honest, you, as I as I spoke to Marie uh, the day before, and um, we, we were asking about what what exercise he should do in the morning of the race, and we were. You know, as a rule, uh, you know, my horse would generally go and have a, an easy hat canter in the morning before they head off at Newmarket runners, any or local runners. But um, he's been away for every uh, all of his runs, so he's only ever hand walked. And so you know, we decided we'd just tack walk him there yesterday morning. The concern was, because he's so laid back, was whether he would actually wake up at all during the day. You know, because <laughs> a five-minute box ride from here to Newmarket Racecourse might not be enough to um, mm. get him get, get him motivated. Um, but anyway, thankfully he was <laughs> motivated enough to get in front. But it's, uh, you know, as you see there, the constitution of him, he's only lost four kilos. Running in ground like that, you'd oh. expect it to lose a lot more than that. Putting up, what you know, what would to, you expect him to lose? Yeah, just to give us I mean, context. Just on, a, on a local run at Newmarket, anything between sort of eight, six to eight kilos on a run, and then maybe in that sort of ground you could be pushing a ten kilo mark. Oh. But um, 
Yeah, four kilos is what he lost. So I what does that, that say about him? I think that just tells <laughs> the constitution, more so not so much the constitution, but everyone was expecting this, you know, this, this explosion. explosion yeah. you know? But in that ground, you know, you, you, you're always going to find it hard to, for, for, to see acceleration. I mean, you know, though everyone likes to think of a good horse, you know, quick and clear, but on that ground, you know, no, no athlete really wants to be running yeah. in soft ground. Um, so that, that, well, that's probably taken a bit of the acceleration off of him, but I think also, I think he's just, uh, he's matured into it that uh, he just does what he needs to do. And um, I was confident, I can't say I was confident from all the way throughout the race, you know, he, he, William got him into a lovely position and um, the plan was always to just get him balanced coming down into the dip and then ask him once we hit the rising ground. But, you know, as a rule, from the, two, from the three to the two, this horse has comes comes alive as we've seen on those last two starts he's bang on the bridle there and then he kicks and yesterday we didn't see this coming on the bridle the way he did and that, that was a that was a concern I have to say but um, once he got within half a length of Arizona and got offsides him full credit to the second horse he battled all the way to the line but um, this horse wasn't ever going to get beat from from there on. Interesting thing about him I wonder you could tell me more if you didn't have that ex explosive nature early on or if you were aware of how good he might be early on, would he have had the campaign that he's had this season? Look, he, he's been campaigned in respects to, uh, I say, he started at Wolverhampton there. He took that race. The, the, the one thing we learnt about him at Wolverhampton was he was uh, a very sort of um, a mature horse. In, in you know, he, he was okay, he was a bit slow from the gate, but the rest of the race, he, he was going through gaps, and James was asking him questions that most horses would would normally be very green to and, and shy away from yeah. uh, and everywhere James put him he went through the gaps and and picked up well and that sort of gave us the encouragement to to go to Epsom with him um, and then at Epsom as we saw you know there was one horse there that got free on the lead there and, and, and you would have Mystic question marks whether he was going to you always were hopeful that the horse was going to come back but he had a lot of ground to make up mm. um, but uh, James said himself he said I got there too soon in the end um, and then from there Timing-wise, it all worked out very well, you know, from, from Wolverhampton to Epsom, yeah. to, to, Epsom to, to Ascot, and Ascot, then we obviously went to, the, to Goodwood, mm -hmm. and Goodwood then on to the National, but, so he got, he, I felt he had, the timing was, was right, but more importantly, it's just the way the horse takes his races, I mean, to see now. That's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's <laughs> beautiful, isn't he? Beautiful, he's, just uh, watching him. Just, um, you know, most horses would come back, they'd be a bit more lit up, or, or they'd be, you know, of course they'd be, they're entitled to be fatigued after a run like that. But he's like that. He'd be like this in a week's time still. So <laughs> this is just the nature of him. I know you're not going to get drawn into. You're you're wise enough not to get drawn into who's the best, all that sort of stuff. So what I'd like to ask you about is what's to come with him next year. Will it be a winter in Dubai, straight to the Guineas, first of all? Um, those discussions will be had over the next few weeks. Really, the, the, the Dubai team is is already sort of put in place in respect to the carnival team are already you know, sure. earmarked. And, he and wouldn't they will, race in Dubai. No, he won't race yeah. in Dubai, no. Um, they, they will ship out early November. And then the, sort of the, the horses that we call the winter horses that aren't going to run out there, they don't generally go out there until towards the end of December. So those discussions will be had with behind the Sheikh Mohammed, who's obviously took great pleasure in, in watching this mm. horse run. I mean, full credit, he chose him this time last year. It was, at Goffs last year, we went to Kildangan and, and, and you know we saw this horse and, and he, he put him on the on the list to come here to Moulton Paddock. So we're you know very grateful <laughs> that he arrived very here grateful. and, and uh, obviously like I say with his 
with his highness seeing him right from that early stage and be able to follow his career to date it's yeah. been an exciting uh, trip for all of us given the fact that he's improved with every start would you be happy to go to the guineas without a run or would you think he'll need a run before the guineas i think those decisions will be made in the spring it's it's, it's i think it'd be a bit bold to say now what you're <laughs> going to be doing come next early next may but uh um you know, we just have to see how this horse winters, how he develops. I mean, he, he might all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's a he's a he's a strong animal. Mm. We'll, see, you know, we'll see whether he grows, whether he puts on weight, loses weight. Yeah. Those, you know, we won't know that until into January, uh, where we are, and so those decisions again will be made January for every time. And you know, speculation as to how far he's going to get will be rife over the coming months. Some people think maybe he might be just at a mile, mile and a quarter, mile and a half. What's your gut instinct about the extent of his, his stamina? Well, one thing William said as soon as he got off, he says he'll get the mile, no problem. He was very confident in that. Mm. Uh, and I think we could all see that in the way he galloped out. Um, obviously, pedigree-wise, he's, he's entitled to get the mile and a half. Um, you know, he's mm. out of a, you know, his, his mare lava for, Dan Lava Flow, you know, saw the trip out well. Um, Dalakani, um, Mayor. So um, you've, got, you've got that to take into consideration. You Personally, I would say, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you want an Epsom, yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, the attributes he takes to, to seeing out a trip is he's so relaxed. You know, you can put, you know, jockey can put him where he likes in yeah. a race. And, and as a rule, the first half of the race, he's, he's generally asleep and <laughs> off the bridle. It's not until you come to the, 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 the crucial part this fella starts to wake up. But um, so he has the attributes to be able to get the trip um, in, in that respect. But um, I see him probably as a 10 furlong horse, but maybe it's because I'm just not being brave enough to say he's a mile <laughs> and a half horse yet doing what, doing what he's doing. But um, again, nice discussions to have. And uh, you know, it's like I say, it's, it, can be a, it can be a long winter, but hopefully with this first, he's going to shorten it up for us. And one thing I wanted to ask you about as well was about William, who's not had the clearest of runs this season. How important was him for him to be involved in... in the, this horse's last couple of successes and, and the joy and satisfaction you've got together watching him back in action at the top level. Oh, for sure. I mean, Williams, as you say, lost the, uh, missed a, you know, a big chunk of the season there. And, um, you know, obviously it, must, it was hard for him and uh, full credit. And it just shows, you know, the, the professionalism. And, and as a team member, you know, he came to Ascot and saw this horse win at Ascot along with Blue Point, who had obviously had a lot of... Uh, you know, mm. success with and, and James was there at Ascot, um, you know, riding him and riding this horse and uh, so um, for him to get back on him at the championship stage of his career w was great and it's, it's, well, it's all a team, I mean look, William's been it's a huge part of this team and um, for him to have uh, the success on him has been fantastic and have him back in the saddle more importantly, yeah. um, but we, like I say we're just very, very lucky in, in a team we have here, and you know, James is, is far from being a backup jockey. <laughs> yeah. He's just uh, he, he's he's a part of the team and, and a very important part of the team. So, you know, with William and James, it's great to see them all having winners. And, He'd be uh, the best backup jockey in the history of well, horse racing. <laughs> <wouldn't he? laughs> um, but yeah, no, very very lucky, and it's been a very special horse to be around. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiwell Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.